Uh, okay, those of you who, who've been saying that you love this cold weather, that this is your kind of weather, have you had enough yet? Because I've totally had, I mean, I'm not a cold weather person. I've been doing this for y'all, but I'm, I'm about done, y'all. I can't, I can't do this much longer. This is going to be a cold week. You know, and, and the sad thing is, like, there's no such thing as a snow day anymore because now that they discovered virtual learning, you know, they, they can ruin a snow day for you now with, uh, with homework. Uh, but anyway, God is good, and, and we'll make it through this week. Uh, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Let's jump in. This is the final message in the series entitled Growth Spurt. We've been in this for seven weeks. We'll start something new next week. Uh, starting a series next week entitled Man in the Making. We're going to talk about the life of Simon Peter. I'm really excited. That's going to take us all the way to Easter. So uh, jump in and do something new with me starting next week. But let's continue to talk about spiritual growth and what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus. Let me remind you of our term. And, and define some terms for you. We've been talking about what it means to be a disciple. I would say that everybody in this room and everybody in the sound of my voice probably identifies to some degree with the title disciple. A disciple is simply one who follows Jesus to become like him. You follow Jesus to become like him. Now, th- there are lots of people that probably confuse just going to church or being born in a family that has Christians in it. Uh, you know, we can be confused by a lot of things, but truly this is what Jesus wants us to be, calls us to be, his disciples. And, and he died on the cross so that you would follow him and become like him. Discipleship is a church word, and this has to do with what we do together. Discipleship itself is this relational process process where believers like you and me love and invest in one another so that we can reach maturity in Christ. This is our purpose. Now, it's wonderful that we can be friends. Our friendship matters, but nothing matters more than the effect that you have to help me become more like Jesus. Nothing matters, nothing I can do could matter as much as if I could somehow influence your life so that you take a step closer to Jesus. We're always trying to help one another reach maturity in Christ. In terms of maturity, we use this acronym REFLECT, R-E-F-L-E-C-T, to talk about the quality of a mature believer's life. These are the things that you want to be growing in. The first is relationship. Love God, love others. E is evangelism. Every healthy, growing thing multiplies. It reproduces. And disciples make other disciples. Evangelism is E. Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The list goes on. These are the things that the Holy Spirit bears in our lives when we stay in step with the spirit. L is listening. As a believer, the most important thing in your spiritual life, the central nerve of your life in Christ is the ability to hear his voice and obey what he says. You listen for his voice through the word, through prayer, and he speaks to you. E is edification. This is what the church does together. We build each other up through our spiritual gifts, through loving and forgiving and encouraging. We build up the body of Christ. Last week, we talked about C, Christ-likeness, what it means to live like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, think like Christ, and walk in the way that Jesus walked. Today, let's sort of wrap it all up together with the T, which is transformation. If my life as a disciple is a life of of my becoming more like Jesus, that means I'm going to change. There's going to be a transformation because I'm not that much like Christ and you're not either. I don't know you that well, but I feel pretty confident in saying you're not that much like Jesus, me neither. So we've got a dramatic and radical transformation that's going to happen. It's going to happen by the time we stand before the Lord. He is going to complete the work that he has begun in our lives. And that work makes us more and more like him. So that transformation is the daily process of change I want us to talk about today. Here's the one thing I want to say, and then we'll jump into the word. The mature believer seeks the gospel transformation of the world. Remember, Jesus is taking over the world. He's changing the world, making all things new. But that work of transformation is going to begin where? Yeah, in me, in you. So the mature believer seeks the gospel transformation of the world, starting with self. It is a life of daily confession, turning from sin, and doing God's work in the world. Uh, If you and I are going to be like Jesus, we got to change. So let's talk about change. Philippians chapter 2 is where we'll be, starting with verse 12. 
Paul is writing to a church he knows very well, the church in a city called Philippi. It's a personal letter, and he is something of a pastor in their lives, and he is giving them important words for their spiritual life. And this is what he says. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy going to look especially at verses 12 and 13. So keep your Bibles open and look at those verses with me where Paul says, work hard, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Uh, work hard. You guys work out. Y'all work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's an interesting question to ask people these days. Um, in our culture, we're kind of a workout culture. A lot of people, a lot of people own gym memberships now, including some of you. Uh, you've got a key fob, a little tag on your keys that has the name of your gym, and you're kind of all about that. Uh, I, I get that. The, the thing is, for all of the people who have gym memberships, and all of the people who say that they work out, and all of the people who, you know, you know, seem to want to be active, the vast majority of the American people is really not very active. Something like 80% of us don't get enough exercise any day of our life. We, we just don't move. We don't exert ourselves. I mean, it's, it's a vast number of people who just really aren't moving at, at all. And some of us fall in that category. No matter what we say or do, we're just really not very active, which is funny because... Um, Everybody dresses these days like they're just about to, you know, run the American Ninja Warrior course. You, you, you see people out, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, nobody's actually working out, but every woman in Target's wearing yoga pants. Uh, I mean, every woman anywhere is dressed like she's about to bust out with a really serious workout. It's just she never works out. You know, we dress that way. Every man in Lowe's wears a track suit and basketball shoes, you know, as if, you know, so you're walking around dressed like Usain Bolt, only you ain't about to bolt. I mean, none of us really is going to work out at all. They say that 13% of people who leave the office or leave home to go to the gym, go somewhere else. Like that's a real 13%. So like, there are people in your life who say, yeah, I'm about to go work out, but actually, you know, they, they just go to Starbucks or wherever, and, and uh, it's just a, a, amazing, because we dress, we dress like we're really about to get active. Some of you are listening to this sermon, and you're wearing a dry fit shirt, which is a highly technical garment that's created to wick away the, the sweat from your body, only you ain't about to break a sweat ever, you know, but if you ever do. You know, if you ever do. Of course, the American fashion industry has taken notice, and now the leading trend in fashion is a whole new category called athleisure. Obviously, they've invented a word to, to, to describe this moment in your wardrobe. This wardrobe moment requires a new word that combines two old words. Those words are, you know, like athlete and leisure. So you put it together and you have athleisure. 
right? So this is why your teenager wears a $100 pair of running shoes and a fancy pair of sweatpants, but never gets off the couch. That's called athleisure. If it's a new word, I'll define it for you. Athleisure is actually gym clothing designed to be worn outside of the gym, for example, to work or dinner or gallery openings or red carpet events, weddings, funerals, Walmart, and the IGA. You just dress, you know, like you're about to, you know, to, to, to do something in the Olympics, right? Only you're really just, you know, making a grocery run, pumping gas or stirring your oatmeal on your couch. I mean, this is just sort of how it works. It's an interesting moment in our culture. We're fascinated with working out. We're fascinated with, with athletics in, in, in every way. And we love to dress like that. We love to dress like we're working out. We pay money for gym memberships. I mean, all of this seems very, very important to us. We love everything about working out except working out, which is something that most of us aren't even about to do if we're honest. But it brings me to what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, because what Paul says in very, very clear terms is that your life in Christ requires that you work out. Requires it. Now we're talking spiritually, but I want you to see what he says. I'm going to put it in very plain terms. The New Living Translation says very accurately, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. But what Paul says is a little clearer, and I want to keep it clear. I want you to stay with me and compare this contrast, this tension between verse 12 and 13. In verse 12, Paul's talking about how you work out. In verse 13, the emphasis is on working in. So there's this play between working out and working in. Let's, let's talk about that. In chapter 12, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I'm not really making any kind of stretch when I talked about you working out and the way Paul says, work out. Because honestly, the language is very much the same. The idea is that you're about to exert yourself. What we're talking about is, is rather serious. Paul says, you're going to do this with fear and trembling which means this isn't a casual thing. This isn't just like you, you know, wearing track pants, you know, to sit on the couch. This is serious business. You're about to make some forward motion. You're about to, to, to be set to movement. You understand? You're going to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is rather serious work here. Now, some of you will instantly say, well, Pastor Tim, I've always believed that salvation is by grace. It's not of works. It's not about work. It's not about what I do. It's all about what Jesus does. And I'm not arguing with you. I, I believe I told you that. I, I preach that to you. Of course, salvation is by grace. It's by grace that we're saved, by faith. And it's nothing to do with ourselves. It is the gift from God, not of works. So none of us can brag. Understand? It's not about works. You're getting saved. Your salvation is a gift. God gives it to you because you could never work on it for yourself. You could never earn it. Salvation is not a reward given to people who are good people, the very best of us. Salvation is not a reward given for those who can love their neighbors or be especially kind or who can always, always make it to church on time. You see, it's not what we're talking about. It's not anything to do with that. Salvation is God's gift. He forgives your sins because you're a sinner and you got no hope outside of his grace, outside of his forgiveness. So I'm not confusing that at all. Salvation, God saving you is a matter of his grace. It is a free gift. All you can do is want it and receive it. It's a gift. However, Paul's not talking about getting saved here. He's talking about what it means to live the life of a saved person what it means to live the Christian life. And, and that's, a, that's a different deal. You get saved and then you're going to live your whole life in Christ. And I'm telling you, that's going to require something of you. Your salvation is a gift. And God gives you, because of Jesus, everything that you need, everything required for a completely productive spiritual life. But you've got to turn it on. You've got to engage it. You've got to use what he gives you. You've got to work out your own salvation. You've got to work it out. This requires something. 
you got to get it in gear. You got to turn something on. You got to move forward. You're going to have to exert yourself. See, I'm bringing this up because of what we've all just been through. I've been saying all through this sermon series, all through Growth Spurt, that a lot of what the Holy Spirit, I think, has laid on my heart is just watching this congregation flounder through 2020. And I'm not saying it was your fault. But we just come to a very, very difficult year, which in a lot of ways, our spiritual lives were, were put on pause, or that's what we thought. I mean, entire months where people couldn't come to church, we couldn't worship, we couldn't do anything that we had always been taught was essential. All of a sudden, all of that was, was put on hold. And I'm concerned that there are people who put their spiritual life on hold. People who just sort of press pause. And the assumption is, you know, I'll just pick up one of these days where I left off, you know, when Dr. Fauci says I can. But what you have to understand is there is no pressing pause in your spiritual life. We're talking about fear and trembling here. Do you understand? Something you got to work out. And it doesn't matter what anybody says or what they say you got to do. You can't put this on pause. You know, even though you may have to worship from home, I'm telling you, you still got to be very, very serious about working out the matters of your own salvation. You can't press pause. You can't just think that, you know, you're just going to kind of develop a holding pattern until somebody says all clear. I'm telling you, the devil is never going to give you the all clear. You're always going to have to work it out. And you're going to have to do this with some seriousness and some real exertion on your part. Make sense? Here's the good news though. Verse 13. I love putting these things together. There's your salvation, which is completely, completely a gift from God. But there's your part and there's God's part. Now, we just talked about your part. That's the working out your salvation. You got to work this out with fear and trembling. But then Paul goes on in verse 13, and I love it. For God is working in you. You see, there's the working out, and there's the working in, and the working in part is what God is doing. Now, if you were thinking that I had just given you a whole lot of responsibility, let me just remind you what God's part is. Verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Literally what Paul says here in the Greek, it literally says, God is the one who is working the work. So on the one hand, we're told that we have to work out our own salvation, but then it turns right around and says, but of course, you know, God's the one working the work. So everything comes from him. I mean, lest you think that any of this you're going to supply, you don't have anything but your need. You don't have anything but your sin. You don't have anything but this drastic, serious, dramatic need for some kind of radical change. That's all you bring. God brings everything else. First off, he gives you the desire, the desire to change. See, I know you people, y'all don't want to change. Y'all don't want to change. You've had the same old nasty mask on since Dr. Fauci first showed up on your television. I mean, you don't, you even change your mask. Y'all don't change nothing. You've had the same hairdo since junior high. I mean, we just don't change. Most of us don't change because honestly, change is hard. And most of us, given the choice, we just rather stay the same. I mean, let's just be honest. For the most part, your spiritual life is stuck not because God isn't providing something. God's doing his part. It's your part. But honestly, it's this, this lack of desire. You don't really want this. Can I go so far to say some of you, you, you don't want any more Jesus than you've already got, honestly. You don't want any more. And again, it, it, goes, back, it goes back to this moment in time, this moment with COVID, because right now to this day, and, and we're having, you know, as many people as we can get in this room at a time. And I'm thankful for that. I love hearing people in the hall. I love hearing children back in this house. And, and I understand all of that. I understand why so many of you continue to worship from home. And I'm not saying that you're doing something wrong. Some of you are just being faithful and God bless you. But some of you aren't faithful. Can I say that? Some folks honestly are home because they want to be home. And everything I read from, you know, church experts and other pastors and all across the country, the, the word that everyone continues to say is that, you know, most people who dropped out of church at COVID, they're not coming back. 
I mean, and honestly, I'm talking to folks right now who are home, not because they feel like they need to be for their health's sake, but you're home because you want to be home. I mean, you're at the pool all summer, and you go everywhere you want to go, and you're really not that concerned about it till Sunday morning. And, and honestly, you really have to consider this, this, this desire or lack of desire. The fact is, most of us just have all that we want of Jesus, and we don't have any more desire. You get all that you want. You come to church on Sunday, and you hear probably you know, a, a longer sermon than you were hoping for. You got more Jesus already than you wanted today. Uh, I, I get it. I, I understand that. You got enough Jesus in your life. You're happy with your job. Your family's working out okay, and uh, you're good. You, you have no more desire for anything more of Jesus than you've got. You want to come to church on Sunday, and uh, you want to call yourself a Christian and feel like you're going to heaven when you die, and the rest of that, you just want to be left alone. That lack of desire is a real serious concern. And as your pastor, I'm concerned for that. I'm bracing for the fact that even when everybody can come back to church, everybody won't. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm accepting of that. But, but honestly, my role as pastor, my job, the, the commission was never to see how many people we could pack in this room. I mean, having a crowd is a nice thing. I guess we all like it, but that's not the purpose of our church. The purpose of our church is not to get people in church. The purpose of the church is to make disciples that the people who are within the reach of the church, they begin to follow Jesus and become like him. That's what has to happen. That's what has to happen, and that's the desire that needs to be in your heart, to know Jesus, to to know him more deeply, to follow him more closely, to become like him. This is what a disciple does. But I'm telling you, the very desire to do that is something that most of us just don't have. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, the idea of change is is, is daunting, and, and most of us have tried. We've honestly tried. It's the second week in February. If what the scientists tell us is accurate, that means this is the week all of your New Year's resolutions officially are dead. Most New Year's resolutions last, the ones that last, die somewhere in February. So honestly, you know, you're done trying to be better for this year. I mean, it's just over. And I understand because you tried. You've tried a lot. You've, you've tried to be better in all the ways you could be better. You've always wanted to be better and you dreamed of being better. And sometimes you set a goal, but you know, you just don't get there. And a lot of it is desire and the other part is power. You know, we don't have either one. We don't really want to and we're not really able to. And I'm telling you, you're not. You're really, really not. This woman was having trouble with her car. She didn't know what the trouble was. She just knew that anytime she turned a corner, the car, the whole car just go crawl. Like the engine was just gonna fall out. And she felt like the engine was gonna fall out. So she pulled right into a garage and said, please help me. Every time I turn, I feel like I feel like my car's coming apart. I feel like the engine's gonna drop out in the road. Mechanic said, Lady, just l- let me take it for a test drive. I'll come back and I'll tell you what, you know, what the situation is. So he he, he took it around the block, literally. He was back in less than two minutes, and in less than another minute, he was in there and said, lady, you're, you're good to go. I've taken care of your car. She said, what do I owe you? He said, you don't owe me anything. I just took care of it. She said, what did you do? He said, I took the bowling ball out of the trunk. <laughs> now, see, we laugh. Because that sounds really simple, right? That just sounds really simple. Like you know, you could, anybody could uh, diagnose and take care of that. But this is what I'm telling you. Most of the problems in your spiritual life are that simple. Like most anybody could stand back from a mile away and look at your life and say, well, you just need to take that bowling ball out of the trunk of your spiritual life. But the thing is, often you even know what's wrong, but you just don't really want to go through the change to, to make the difference. That bowling ball in your spiritual life, you know, is the habit that you started back in college and you were always telling yourself that one day that you quit that, but it's now like, you know, years and years later, and now you're sort of attached to that habit. You understand? It's the bowling ball that anybody in the world could say, why don't you just set that out? But you, you don't, you, you can't, it's not going to happen. 
Or, or that bowling ball in your spiritual life could be, you know, this hang up, something you got from your parents, something that happened to you when your mama died or when your parents split up or when somebody abused or mistreated you. And you now carry this anger, this bitterness, this hurt. And, and anybody in the world could tell you that the path forward is going to be to resolve that, to find healing, to set that aside. But I'm telling you, there's something about you. You just hold on to your woundedness. You hold on to that. Something about being wounded, you know, does something for you. And, and although it, it, it makes enough sense that you can move forward, you, you choose to stay back here. I mean, it sounds simple that the changes that need to be made, you know, probably what they are, but, but they're not happening. You know, some of you have even gone through like open heart surgery, bypass surgery, really serious. I mean, life saving surgery for your heart, right? And when the surgery was over, the surgeon came in and sat down and talked to you and had a very serious conversation with you. Basically, you were happy to be alive. You realized that your life just got saved by the hand of the Lord and the work of the doctor. And then the doctor tells you, okay, now let's talk about your life going forward. And what did the doctor tell you? You're, you're going to have to lose some weight. You're going to have to change your dietary habits every day for the rest of your life. If it tastes good, spit it out. I mean, I mean, that's what he said. You have to change the way you eat and you're, you have to stop smoking. You have to start getting some exercise. And I'm telling you that day he told you, the doctor told you, and, and, and you're serious. But what we learn is that if we look two years out, two years out from surgery, 90% of heart patients have made no significant changes in their life. Now, these are people that you're basically saying, if you don't change, you'll die. Like, if you don't change, you'll die. And basically what that person's saying with their life is, I'd rather die. I would rather die. If you're telling me I got to choose between a sack of White Castles and life, just let me die with White Castles. I, I mean, seriously, seriously. People who would just literally say, I, I would rather die than, than, than make any changes. It's just what I'm telling you. When you're talking about change, I mean real change, you're always talking about God's work. This is God's work. It's not in you to want to change, and it's not in you to have the power to change. You can't. If you could change yourself, you would have done it a long time ago. If you could be a better man, your wife would have a better husband like right now. If you could be a better mama, your kids would be blessed today. I mean, the fact is, it's not in you. You can't do this. You always are talking about God's work because it is the Lord who gives you both the desire and the power. He gives you the will and the way. He changes your want-tos and he changes your able-tos. You understand? It's all God's work. This is what he does. This is what he does. It's what he does best. So I remind you, you're, you're not going to change on your own. None of this is going to happen on your own. And see, this goes back to COVID where, where people push pause on their spiritual life and they just assume that, you know, one of these days they, they push unpause and get back to it. You see, nothing works that way. You may not like change, but everything's still always changing. It's always changing. And so you can't just assume that you're going to press pause. You can't just assume that you're just going to drift. That's what some people do. Like, I, I, I got just enough Jesus if I go to church. Or, hey, you know, I found out I can stay home and I can, I can catch the sermon from home. I can listen to the sermon at home. You see, you're making the assumption that the Christian life is only about hearing a sermon a week. And that's not what we're talking about. Jesus didn't die to give you a sermon a week. None of this works that way. He died to change you, to transform you from the way you are to, to Jesus' own perfect holy image. This isn't going to happen accidentally. It isn't going to happen if you just decide to drift, you know, like just, you know, just sort of live your life the way you want to and, and pray that God blesses it. Because I promise you, if you just sort of drift in your life, you just sort of go your way, you will never, I promise you, you never drift in the direction of getting closer to Jesus. You don't drift in that direction. You'll never drift in that direction. And don't think for a moment that, that things don't change anyway. You know, in, in 11 months of not seeing most of the church family, when I see your kids, that's when my mind is blown. That's when I realize how long it's been. 
Because our kids have grown. Like your th- I haven't seen your third grader since last Easter, and then I'll see him next Sunday, and he'll have a beard. You know, what? I mean, kids just grow. And you can see that change in, in the little ones. But, but don't you think for a moment that, that you're not changing as well? This life that you're living, the choices you're making, your, your desires, I'm telling you, you're changing. One way or the other, you're changing. And I'm very concerned about the direction that, that many in our church have drifted in. I'm not trying to be harsh. I love you. I, I care. I don't know what I could say to you that would still be faithful if I didn't tell you this truth. So, so let me say this. And I know that for some of you, this is going to come across as like an astonishing kind of suggestion. But I, I really want you to consider what I'm about to say. I, I feel like it's straight out of the, the word we're reading. If you've no desire to do what pleases God, can I just start right there? If, if you've no desire, if, if you've no desire, and again, only you can say that, I, I can't know your heart. But if you're in your heart of hearts, you really don't want any more Jesus than you got. You, you don't really consider God's will for your life. You're not, you're not interested in the word. You don't pray. And, and you're cool with that. <laughs> like, there's just no desire. If you've no desire to do what pleases God, then God's not at work in you. Now, I know you'd, some of you want to argue with that, and, and I invite you to take your Bible and you come and change my mind. Because I'm reading verse 12 where it says, you know, right there, verse 13, God is working in you, giving you the desire. Now, if there's any sort of variable in this equation, the variable's not on God's side. It's not like God's going to work in you, but he's just going to forget to give you desire. It's not like God's going to work in you, but you know, you're not going to have as good a results as, you know, some results may vary. You know, it doesn't work that way. God is faithful and the Holy Spirit will always bring to perfect completion the work that he starts. So if you've no desire to do what pleases God, then God's not at work in you. I'm looking at verse 13. You read verse 13 back and change my mind. Because here's the thing. If God's not at work in you, then God's not in you. And I know that's startling because that makes it sound like I just said you, you can't be a Christian. It's not my place to say if you're a Christian or not, but I want you to consider what it is that makes you think you are. If you have no desire to please him, and your life is not a life of changing to be more like him. If, if you're the same person and nothing ever changes with you, you've really got this great need to look inside your own heart and, and search your heart and decide if you really, really know the Lord. I'm not talking about something that is just here for people who really want to, you know, like be champion Christians. This is the basic Christian life. This is what it is. There's not this option where you can belong to Jesus but still live the way you want to live and, and kind of run your own life. That's not on the table. If you're going to come to Jesus, you're going to surrender to him. He's going to take over your life and he's going to give you the will and the way to do what pleases him. If that's not happening in you, then you really need to consider whether or not you really know the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord, I would love to make the introduction. But... This is serious. Paul says you got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a lot at stake here. This isn't casual. It's not like you could just, you know, come to church, get yourself a $100 Bible and a subscription to Right Now Media and say that you're a disciple. None of this works without your actual participation. Understand? Notice what comes at verse 14. I'm almost done, you guys. Verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Like, where did that come from? Man, Paul was on fire with that whole working out and got to work in you. And now he's just saying, okay, y'all got to quit your arguing and complaining. Where does that come from? I mean, is that an abrupt you know, change of topic? I love this verse a lot, y'all. Um, when we do infant dedications here at Woodburn, I always ask the parents to ch- select a verse that they can read over their children and be the verse for their life. So we read this verse over the children. 
And inevitably, parents use sort of the same verses, something you know, from the Old Testament, for this child I prayed, this you know, child I give back to God, or Psalm 139, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, all, all of this knit together in your mother's womb. Parents love those verses, but we had this one family who had like six or seven kids. I lost count, like, I don't know, eight kids. I was dedicating like number seven. And we had read all those verses about being fearfully and wonderfully made. And for this child, I prayed and all that. Yeah, for number seven, the parents chose this verse right here. Seriously, true story. So I, you know, we dedicated this baby and I read, do everything without complaining and arguing. Yeah. So obviously this is like, you know, mama and daddy who had a house full of kids and they, they now knew what the kids needed to hear from the word of God, you know do everything without complaining and arguing. What's, what, what's the point there? I just remind you that what Christ is doing in you is always worked out in everyday relationships. It's not really about you just feeling closer to Jesus. I mean, I want you to feel closer to Jesus, but if you're actually getting closer to Jesus, we'll know. We'll know. I mean, I may not know for a while. Your husband will know pretty soon. I mean, when you come in as a woman, you come in with the love and patience and kindness of Jesus, he's going to say, Lord, what happened to my wife? I mean, there's going to be a change. You know, when, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and you begin to change and become more and more like Jesus every day, people will notice. The people in your life will notice. I mean, your brothers and sisters will be the first ones to know. I mean, honestly, your parents will all of a sudden begin to see a child who obeys and, 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 and says, please and thank you and, and loves the Lord. And all of a sudden, I mean, they're going to know it's worked out in relationships without complaining, without arguing. Live your life in such a way where no one can criticize you like, like children of God, clean and innocent, shining like bright stars in the world. I mean, there's a difference and people will see it. People are going to see it. And again, that goes back to the folks who worship at home and say, you know, I, I can listen to a sermon. Yes, you can. But you're going to have to eventually leave the house or find somebody somewhere that you can practice loving more than you love yourself. It always gets worked out in relationship with people. You need people. You just got to have people. But I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, Pastor Tim, I, I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand. I, I don't, I can't change. I'm just like my mama. My mama, if, she, if, it was in, if it went in her head, it came out of her mouth, and I'm just like her, you know, so I just like to speak my mind, and, and I'm just, I can't change. And, and can I just say to you, please, ma'am, uh, don't ever say that again. As a believer, you must never say, I can't change. I'll never be any different. You can't say that. I mean, from a gospel perspective, that's blasphemy. What you're saying is, I am more powerful and stubborn than God is powerful and able to change me. He is in the changing people business and he can change you. You can never say, I can't change. And, and while I'm at it, you can't look at another person and say, she can't change. You can't say that. You can't look at somebody and say, I've known him. I've known, I, I've known him since school and I've known his daddy and he's just like his daddy and that boy ain't never going to be indifferent. You are not speaking as a believer. You can never say that change is not possible. You can't say you can't change. You can't say you'll never be different. And you can't say somebody else can't change. The gospel is good news of transformation. You can change. You must change. You understand this? You can change. You must change. This is the gospel. There is no iteration of the gospel where you come to Jesus, but you get to stay the same. That, that's not an option. You're going to change if you come to Jesus. And if you're not changing, I'm not so sure you found Jesus yet. You can change. You must change. And as they say in recovery, if nothing ever changes, nothing ever changes. If nothing ever changes. Nothing ever changes. I mean, so we can talk about discipleship. We can talk about becoming like Jesus. But honestly... If you're not becoming more like Jesus, if there's not a, a radical transformation taking place, how do you call yourself a disciple? Nothing ever changes, nothing ever changes. I do not have favorites in the church family. I love, it. I love you all like my children. I mean, you're all the same. Uh, but if I did have favorites, it'd probably be Miss Marie. Miss Marie. 
I love Miss Marie. Uh, she's not my favorite, but if I had one, it'd be Miss Marie. I, gosh, I just love her. Uh, some of you know her, some of you don't. Um, Miss Marie is awesome. Miss Marie, as long as I've known her, drives uh, the, the, just a giant blue car. It's just giant. Uh, I don't know what kind of car it is. Anybody know? Is it a Ford? A, a Chrysler? We don't know, y'all, what kind of. But, but we know it when we see it. And, and any of you, you speak right up if I'm exaggerating, but Marie's car is, I mean, truly the size of this middle section of pews. It is, it is the size of this middle section. It's a giant car, and it's sky blue. It's sky blue. Uh, and she has an American flag. Not, not like a little one, like an American flag flying on the back driver's side. So anytime you see her, that's Marie. And, uh, and she drives way too fast. I mean, I know she's a church lady, y'all, but she drives. She used to drive the church van with kids in it until we found out, like, like, like Marie, like kids love riding with Marie because when they become in a church, they, they, they top this railroad track here and all the kids say that they would leave their seats. Like Marie, like, like jumping, like that's true. Y'all like Marie, you know, just drives like, you know, NASCAR. So she got this giant blue car that she'd been driving as long as I've known her. Like a big, you know, blue American whale. You see her, it's, it's Marie. Um, anyway, Marie's in my Sunday night small group. And a couple of weeks ago, I was outside greeting people because that's what I do. I sit out, the, you know, greet people on the sidewalk of the parking lot. And Marie drove up in her, you know, big blue American whale. She just called, you know, pulled up and um, hopped out. I said, Marie, how you doing? She said, I'm fine. She came in. We came in for church. So I start the night, you know, a small group in here, and Marie's sitting like right there, and I just start talking. We start out with praise and, you know, any prayer requests, any praises, and Marie just mentioned, this week I got a new car. Now, it's hard to see, you know, people you love grow older, um, and I'm thinking, Marie's crazy, because I saw her, <laughs> I saw her drive in. I, y'all, I saw her drive. I saw her get out of the big blue American whale. I saw her get out of her car. And I saw it. And it, it's, just, it's her car. And now she's, I got a new car. I said, Marie, no, you didn't. I mean, I said it like in front of the church people. No, you didn't, Marie. I saw your car. It's the same car. She said, no, that's my new car. I said, Marie, it's the same car. She said, no, it's not. She said, I went to the car lot. Here's her story. I went to the car lot to get a new car. And I explained to him that I needed a new car, but I love my old car. And the car salesman said, I got a car for you, lady. And so he pulled out from around the building in a big blue car. This identical to Marie's car. Like, I'm not saying a little bit like it. As a matter of fact, like I would never say that there's a salesman this dishonest. But if you told me that what he did was just drive her car around the building and come back around and sell it to her, I, be- I would believe you. I would believe you. Marie says she bought that car. It's like a year or two newer than her old car. Before she left the lot, she put the big American flag on it and she drove out happy as she can be. If she's happy, I'm happy. I have my doubts. But Marie got a new car. See, this is what I just want to tell you because there's a whole lot of Marie in me and you. We kind of want change, but we also kind of want everything to stay the same, especially in our spiritual life. And so what some of us call, you know, like the Christian life is really just you coming in your car and driving around the building once on Sunday. Like you come in this side, go out that side and like, woohoo, you know, I'm I'm more like, woo, I'm a new person, but nothing ever changes. Like, it really doesn't matter how many times you make the circuit around this building. You understand? You you come in, you come out. If nothing ever changes, nothing ever changes. And and you're missing the point of all of it. Am I making sense? I mean, if you continue to follow the Lord and yet you are as racist now as you've ever been, or if you follow the Lord and, and you continue to have no patience with anybody, if you continue to not be able to control your temper, if you continue to blow up twice a week when the family's just trying to have supper together, I mean, you understand, if you just continue in your ways and nothing ever changes, then there's something profoundly wrong in your spiritual life. There's something broken. There's something missing. The Christian life is a life of constant change, daily transformation to be more like Jesus. If that doesn't describe your life, then the life you're living is not the Christian life. And 
I really challenge you to consider the basis upon which you call yourself a Christian. You're supposed to be a disciple following Jesus to become more like him. Now, if that sounds heavy, I just want to I I end the way Paul ends. Look what he says. I'm going to rejoice even if I lose my life. You see, that's the opposite of the person who's like saying, wait, you telling me I can't have white castles? Okay, kill me now. You know, I would rather stay as I am and die. That's not Paul. Paul just says, you know what? I am going to chase after Christ. I'm going to continue to move in this direction. I'm going to work out my salvation and I'm going to do this even if it kills me. Understand? He would choose this way of life. He would continue to take steps forward toward Christ and he's not going to take a step back if you tell him it would cost him his life. Understand? He would die for this. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a drink offering, just like your faithful service is an offering. And I want all of you to share this joy. Say it's joy. This is what I'm afraid you're missing. And this is why I feel like it's so important as your pastor to tell you these truths. Because it's joy that you're missing. When you don't have Jesus, understand it's joy that you're missing. In your life, you think you have all kinds of problems, and you do. But there's always one problem that's behind the problems. One problem behind the problem. And that problem is always going to relate to your relationship with Jesus. If you're growing more like him, then you're going to be developing all of the qualities that will make your life be the abundant life that Christ promises. I mean, right now, your, your marriage problems, your financial problems, your problems in school, your problems in all relationships, your problems with habits and hangups and hurts. You understand, I can draw a straight line from any one of those things straight back to whatever it is in your life that you're not letting Christ have his way with you. Spiritual problems. So at the end of 2020, as, as exhausted and desperate and unhappy and discontent as we've all been, don't you understand that happiness doesn't come when COVID goes away? Our problems are spiritual problems. Contentment is found in Christ. And if you can't find it in Christ, I'm telling you, pandemic or no pandemic, you won't be content. It's Jesus that you need. The joy that you're lacking in your life, it's because of your lack of Jesus. You just need Jesus. You need to be walking toward Jesus, taking steps toward Jesus. That's where joy is found. Everything in your life that you crave, everything that you feel like you're missing, it's going to be found in Jesus. It's the truest thing I know how to tell you. Whatever problem you're facing, the solution is to figure out the next step you need to take to become more like Christ. One more step to become more like Jesus. I don't care if it's a marriage problem. I don't care if it's a work problem. The answer is to figure out what step you need to take to be more like Christ. And when you take in those steps, you understand that's where joy is found. Paul says, if it kills me, man, I got so much joy and I want you to have that. As your pastor, as your friend, I want you to have that. Let me say one more thing. I'll be done. I'm sorry. I've gone long. Um, in the Christian life, aim for progress, not perfection. Now, we're going to be perfect one day. Like, I mean that, not an exaggeration. When I stand before Jesus, the scripture promises, I will see him as he is and I'll be like him. Like then. But like today, you know, that ain't today. I got a long way to go. I'm not the man that I want to be at all. I'm not the preacher that I long to be. I, I am not the husband, I'm not the father, I'm not the son. I'm just not anything like I want to be. But, but I pray I'm getting closer. Just progress. I, I, I want to take, take the next step. You know? And if I'm thinking that perfection, if i got to get this perfect, then honestly, I just want to quit. I mean, if I thought I had to be perfect, I, I couldn't stand up here. I couldn't do anything. Just taking the next step. If it's a life of following Jesus, then your job is just to find the next step and take the next step. But I'm telling you, it won't happen by accident. You're not going to float your way. You're not going to drift your way into being more like Jesus. You're going to have to work this out. It's going to take something on your part. Get serious about it. Put some energy, momentum. But whatever it costs you, whatever you have to do, do you understand the joy that Jesus brings? That's what you want. 
Paul says, I rejoice in this. If it costs me my life, I rejoice in this. And, and I want you to share my joy. And then, and then y'all want you to be joyful. And I'm going to share your joy too. I mean, it's just that idea that joy just gets traded around. That's what discipleship is. But it won't happen by accident. Everything that is required for you to take the next step, Jesus provides. He gives it to you. Puts it right in your lap. But you're going to have to engage it. You're going to have to begin to act out of different desires. Use the power he gives. He's going to change you. He's going to change you. But you're going to have to decide to change. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, if we could do it without you, we probably would have. We can't. If I could be the man I wanted to be, Lord, if I could, if I could do that without you, Lord, I, Lord knows I'd already have done it. I need you, Lord, every day. I have some desire, Lord, but not quite enough because other desires compete. I find myself wanting to do what pleases you, Lord, but then mm, I have this incredible desire to please myself. And that desire to please myself seems always to win, Lord. I, I'm begging you, Lord, to increase the desire for you, the things that you have for me, Lord, to increase that desire in me, Lord. Give me power. Lord, here's the thing. We come to you, Lord, today just like we are. And some of us, Lord, we're a mess. Nothing like we thought it would be, Lord. Nothing at all like we wanted to be, Lord. This is just how we've turned out, Lord, and it is not always good. We strive to be better. We dream of being better, Lord, but this is it's not getting better. We want you, Lord, to do your work in us. Finally, Lord, let us surrender it to you so that real change can happen. With fear and trembling, Lord God, we come as we are, begging you, Lord, not to leave us this way. Lord, help us to begin where we are, but Lord, we invite you to take us, Lord, to set our feet in a different direction, to put us on a path, a real path of growing, maturing, following you, becoming like you. Lord, there's no way this could happen apart from you, your spirit, the desire, the power that you bring, Lord. Help us. Lord, some of us desperately need a, a change in our lives, Lord, things are coming apart quickly. Some of us, Lord, are heading for a disaster we don't even see coming yet. Lord Jesus, I just pray that each of us would find ourselves in the very center of your will, in, in, in the very palm of your hand, in the very path, Lord, that would lead us straight to you. And on that path, Lord, help us to uh, give it all we got, to run toward you, Lord, to work this thing out. Because, Lord, we're created to live like you, to love like you, to be like you. That's not how we are, but by your grace, Lord, make us to be like you. Whatever change it brings, Lord, we want to be like you. We pray these things in the name of the Savior, Jesus. Amen.